It's Wednesday, May 27th, and we are studying through the book of 2 Peter. We are in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 today. So we have a new paragraph that we're starting off. Let's just jump right into it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, This, referring to the letter, verse 1, is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And we're going to talk more about the reminder and what we're reminding, uh, what he's reminding us of, what he's reminding his audience of uh, next time. But let's look at this first verse here and think this through the second letter. What are we talking about? Uh, it seems pretty obvious to us, but that is never that simple when people get a hold of this and start thinking it through. There's a lot of distinctions between first and second Peter. I think we discussed this in our very first episode of our study through Second Peter, and some people have questioned whether or not this is actually a letter written by Peter, and so let's think through some of the options here. The options are, number one, as some have suggested, that Second Peter doesn't even belong in the Bible. It is a forged letter. It's not real. It wasn't really by Peter, and it came after the real letter to 1 Peter. So 1 Peter in our Bible should just be the epistle of Peter, and that's all there is, and this is forged, and that's why he makes such a big fuss about the fact that this is the second letter I'm writing, and I'm reminding you, and he's going to go on to talk about the fact that he's already written them, and this is all just part of the ploy, uh, and that is one uh, suggestion. At least that's how it's made. It's an accusation. Uh, secondly, people say, well, this is a real letter from Peter. This is the real Second Peter, but it comes after a lost epistle of Peter that we don't have, uh, a First Peter that uh, is not the First Peter that we're dealing with in the Bible. In other words, First uh, Peter that we have in our Bible is really Third Peter, because some people think as they look at these two letters that actually Second Peter came before First Peter. And if this first, if this second Peter that we have is referring to an earlier letter, there must be a first Peter, but we just don't have that. That's a non-inspired, non-God-breathed letter. And so that is one view that the commentators, some commentators posit that we're missing uh, a letter, as it seems in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. If you read 2 Corinthians carefully, that's another study, and we won't take time to talk about that. But there are many suggestions as it relates to that. Uh, or... If this is the real second Peter and it's not the first Peter, some people would say, well, first Peter and second Peter are two, are two written to two different sets of recipients. And if it's written to two separate recipients, well, then second Peter, uh, they would say, is after some other letter that we don't have. It's lost. It's not inspired. It's not canonical. And first Peter shouldn't really be first Peter. It's just a different letter to a different audience. Now, the case that's made for that, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and on it goes. So it's very specific about who the audience is here. Uh, look at 2 Peter now, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, right, even the way that this is described here, uh, is different. It's not the same. Peter, an apostle. And then Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Christ Jesus, 
to those who, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. They say, well, that's a much broader audience than this right here, very specific in terms of where they are, that they're dispersed, and even the way it's addressed here. So these are two different audiences, and if they're two different audiences, and Second Peter talks about a First Peter, it's a First Peter to this audience and not to this audience. So different recipients and not sequential. This first part of this first option under the second option, in other words, A, I put it down on this outline, is that First Peter and Second Peter are actually to the same audience, it's just that First Peter is Third Peter. If that all sounds confusing, uh, it is a little confusing, I suppose, and the option that probably you're used to thinking through is the one that I'm going to advocate for, and if we had more time, we could get into the details. Uh, I've talked about it, I think I did talk about it in the very first episode of our study through Second Peter, but the real Second Peter, uh, I would advocate is the letter that comes after First Peter. It is all as it appears, certainly appears that way. This is the second letter I'm writing to you, and the you we are assuming is the same audience as First Peter, though they are addressed in different ways, just as I address people in different ways when I'm teaching or preaching or even when I'm talking to them, uh, and that both letters are written to the same recipient. So that is the traditional view. It's a traditional view that seems to make sense. I understand the distinctions in vocabulary and even the tone. I can appreciate all of that, just like I can appreciate the realities of how we address people today, how I, even as a preacher, caring about congregants, uh, address people in different ways. And uh, certainly my vocabulary changes, my writing styles are different depending on the time in which the letter is written or the article in my case. So uh, this is the traditional view and the view in which I think that we could um, settle on. And again, this is not a super technical study, but one that at least I think I would get you familiar with the other options. But I'm gonna go with option three because I do believe makes the most sense and the arguments to the contrary are not compelling. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here talking about this, and this I hope is clear in everything we've read so far, even though some people question this when it happens to them, and that is that Peter is very firm when he is dealing with these uh, people that he writes Second Peter to, um, and he calls them here in the middle of this discussion, beloved. I mean, we've had I mean, really some hard-hitting verses in chapter 2, and he calls them people that he loves. That's what beloved means, right? They're loved. He loves them. And I think we need to remember that the truth that comes through our teachers, in this case a true teacher, in this case an apostle, uh, is motivated uh, by love even when it is something difficult. And I thought it would be good to go back to even the gift that exists within the church. And if we looked at the earlier section, we would see it's both the apostles and prophets, the founding offices of the early church. Ephesians 2.20, the church is built upon those offices. And then the evangelists and the pastor teachers, those that continue on the church. And so the pastor teacher, like the apostle and the prophet of the early church, uh, the motive is the same. And it ultimately is to see the people here. Here's the purpose of those offices given by God, verse 13, Ephesians 4:13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. That's certainly been the feel of this entire Second uh, Peter chapter 2 in particular, uh, by every wind of doctrine, trying to ground you in the truth. But we have to point out 
the human cunning, the craftiness and deceitful schemes that are out there. We've quoted this passage now a couple of times in our study because that kind of contrary teaching exists. You need to be warned about it. And yet he says in verse 15, what we want to do with you is not what the false teachers are trying to do in scheming and deceiving you, but we are speaking the truth. And here's the motive, the motive of every true teacher, every true pastor, every true uh, Christian writer ought to be love that we are trying to do what is good for the recipient. We're trying to promote what is right in their lives for the good and the glory of God, and it is for their good. That's what love is. It's the commitment and the action for the well-being of the recipient. And we are to see, he says, and we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together, right? It's got to be about a centrality and agreement on Christ and the doctrine of Christ and every joint with which it is equipped. And that's the point of what all is happening here. Earlier, we saw that same word equipped, which each part, uh, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Here's our word again, in love. So love is what it's built up in when every part does its work. And part of what is happening in the church when there are teachers warning of false teachers and pointing out error and trying to correct people and sometimes even feeling that heavy hand of conviction as there's a strong imperative and a strong warning coming from biblical teachers is that it's the body is supposed to be built up in love, just like a trainer might do some things with a person trying to get in shape. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of firm direction. There's a lot of pushing. There's a lot of discomfort in the process that comes from leadership, and that the body set or the Bible says is all about building up the body in love to see the love come to. Uh, these people, which is the good that God intends for them. And that's why teachers are speaking the truth, but it is in love, even though the truth may sting, the motive is right and the motive is love. He says, I'm writing to you, and it's been hard during this section in chapter two into chapter three now, he reminds them that he loves them. And I think this is helpful because so much of us so much of what we see in the modern church is one definition of what love is. A loving teacher is going to teach in this particular way and not in that particular way. And I wanted to show you this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, which shows us that real love in teaching and leadership and discipleship and training and preaching, really there's two components to it. And sometimes it's soothing and it's calming and it's gentle and sometimes it's firm and uh, horatory, as we'd say, exhorts and, and even rebukes and corrects. And I want to show you both of these in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, we were gentle among you. We weren't exploiting you, trying to teach you the wrong things. Like, and look at the analogy here, a nursing mother. We were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And what does that look like? That's a very gentle picture, right? Being so, and here it is, affectionately, so being affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you become very dear to us. All of that's great. And all the modern Christians of our day, they love that. And that's the kind of pastor you want. That's the kind of teaching you want. That's the kind of Christian book you want to pick up and read. And yet just a few verses later in verse 11, he shows the other side of parental love even in the leadership analogy here that is given in comparing it to parental love. He says, for you know how, uh-oh, we've gone from mother now to father, like a father with his children, right? Even though today a lot of men are emasculated and there's a lot of you know, maternal uh, roles trying to be fulfilled by men today. The reality is a father has a different kind of love to his children, a kind of uh, exhortation here, it says, we exhorted each one of you and we encouraged you like a coach would. And a coach is the kind of uh, uh, pushing, the driving, the, the correcting, the pointing out the error. 
Now look at this strong word. And we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. So again, all of this is motivated by love, just like a father would with his children be a little bit more, um, in some cases, a lot more firm and direct with his children than a gentle nursing mother. But both of these analogies, both of these pictures are motivated by love. Both these pictures are depicting something that is motivated by love. So I think when Peter takes time out here to say, uh, I'm writing this letter to you, uh, beloved, that I love you, that you're loved by me, I think it's a helpful thing to step back and say that should be the driving force of all good teaching, but that does not exclude sometimes the difficult truths that have to be taught. Uh, one more here, Second Peter chapter 3 at the end of the book, here's the motive that's laid out, which is a lot like the Ephesians passage we just looked at, verse 17. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, you therefore beloved, he uses that word here again, knowing this beforehand, right, which is the reminder we're about to look at here, he says, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people, exactly as Paul said there in Philippians, and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, now and to the day of eternity, rather. Amen. And that picture there is the picture of saying there's error out there, there's problems out there, there's a, there's a sense in which you could lose your stable, growing progress in your sanctification and not have the stability that I want you to have. And all of this is the motive of Peter, and it's a reminder why he has to stop and say, and he wants to affirm that he's there for their good because he loves these people. All right, just real, real quickly before we end, and we're going to see more of this in the verses to come, but it says in verse number one here, the end of the verse, in both of them, both these letters, he says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind, right? You want to grow, you want to love God by way of reminder. So this is a calling back to the things that he had said to them before. He wants to refresh their minds and get them to think back to what it had been. And so Peter had already used this phrase. Think about this phrase here. He says, therefore, up in verse 12 of chapter one, this seems like a long time ago when we were studying this, but he said, I intend always to remind you Right? Remind you of these qualities, though you know them. It's not the first time you've heard this, and you're established in the truth that you have. What he doesn't want is for them to lose their stability. So they have been established in these truths. They've been taught them, but he's going to repeat them, and he's going to affirm them, and he's going to drive them home even further. He says, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. There it is. And this is the whole point of this section. I'm trying to remind you of this. Since you know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. We looked at that in John 21. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to, here's our word, recall these things. I want you to remember them. I'm going to try to remind you. I want you to recall these things, which is a good Reminder to us that we shouldn't be like the Athenians that just want to hear the new stuff, the novel things. We want to be able to go back over the things that we might have already heard or studied or learned. And sometimes even the redundancy, um, you know, is part of the loving work of your teachers, real teachers, true teachers in your life. I remember getting a letter from someone who was mad that you keep repeating the same thing. You keep saying the same things. Well, hopefully if you sat under my teaching, I try to make sure we go a little bit further, a little bit farther, uh, maybe explain some things that haven't been uh, understood before about a passage. But this person, I remember his complaint uh, was about, you know, just always back to the same things. And I thought of this text, right, which is really woven throughout the epistle, that reminding someone is a good thing. As a matter of fact, sometime, sometimes it is an expression of our love for them is to give them those 
clear and repeated reminders. So there you go. Second Peter chapter three, verse one. We're in a new chapter now. And uh, tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be in verse number two. And we'll be back as we continue our study through Second Peter.